Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like the show and think we deserve a five-star rating, and obviously we do, rate us and post a review. Also, although our main purpose in life is to entertain you, producing this show costs actual money, so please help out by going to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried and pledging your support to receive all sorts of goodies, merchandise, personalized roast, and shout-outs, advanced access to episodes, or personal messages from me, Gilbert Gottfried. And if we raise enough, maybe I can finally get a new co-host. I'm thinking of the Scarlett Johansson robot. Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again at Nutmeg with our engineer Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is an actor, comedian, producer, martial arts expert, and former professional wrestler who's appeared in dozens of television shows, including Naked City, Kojak, Three's Company, Airwolf, Simon & Simon, Knight Rider, Columbo, and Max Headroom. Movies include Death Wish, Serpico, Exorcist II, The Heretic, The Amityville Horror, The Sting II, Johnny Dangerously, and Three Days of the Condor, for which he won a New York Film Critics Award. Over a 50-year career, he's worked with everyone from Kurt Douglas to Tony Bennett to James Earl Jones to Sophia Loren, but he'll always be near and dear to our hearts for playing Officer Ed Nicholson on one of the greatest situation comedies in the history of network TV, Car 54, Where Are You? Please welcome the only member of the Karate Hall of Fame we've ever had on this podcast, (laughs) Hank Garrett. (laughs) Gilbert, I'm blushing. I, I... God, you mentioned things that I forgot about. (laughs) (laughs) We like to do that, Hank. Yes. And watch your reaction. Yes, exactly. Now, I I still catch reruns of Car 54 on TV. I remember when it was on, and it still makes me laugh. Yeah, it was a wonderful show. We had a great time doing it. Uh, We had so much fun. We really looked forward to going to work every morning. And tell us about the creator, Nat Hyken. Oh, God, Nat. He was God. 
there was a dear friend of mine whose name Mickey Deems who was a stand-up comic, and his wife Gertrude was Nat Hiken's secretary. And I was a cop for about a minute and a half in New York. <laughs> I had joined the police force, and then I got this call from Mickey, and he said, would you like to come and read for a show called Car 54, Where Are You? And I said, yeah. He said, it's going to be a wonderful series. Well, he set up, they set up the appointment and I walked in to meet Nat Hyken. And I sat down and Nat looked at me and said, you're Ed Nicholson. And I said, no, 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 I'm Hank Garrett. <laughs> and he said, just the kind of schmuck I'm looking for. <laughs> he said, Nicholson is the character you're going to play on this show. I went, oh God! <laughs> I I heard Nat Hiken knew immediately when he saw someone. Like he liked funny looking people. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but he must have seen something in your face. That... Oh, it, he was looking for a guy that was a muscle head, and I I had competed as a power lifter and bodybuilder. You so... you won an award. Or I'm, power lifting. Yeah, I broke the New York State record. Wow. Cool yeah, stuff. I, yeah, I did a 750-pound squat. I broke the record and my knees at the same time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, I heard Joey Ross oh. was like a, a character, to put it mildly. Yes. Yeah, he was really strange. Uh, to give you an idea, we were going <laughs> to... We had a... Uh, it was a, a show that we were doing, and we we're all going to be dressed in, in different costumes. Uh, it was a masquerade party. And someone said, what is Joey going to dress as? And someone said, well, he'll put on clean underwear, and nobody will recognize him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was that kind of a situation with Joey. And and you you told a story that one time you... And Al Lewis was standing out on the street in your cops' uniforms. We was. <laughs> I don't know what kind of language I can possibly. Use. Oh, yeah, you go for it. Hey, it's a, it's you a, know it's who you're talking to here. <laughs> <laughs> you can say you yes. can say whatever you want. Yeah, Gilbert, I got to tell you something about what you did on a show that absolutely destroyed everybody I knew. You were on some show, and I think it was, uh, I, I can't recall, but there was a, a African-American comic, not a comic, an actor. He got up, and he just said all the filthiest things that you could possibly say. And you followed him and said, the guy just did my act, word <laughs> for word. <laughs> and everybody that was watching the show was on the floor. <laughs> That was the U. Hefner roast. <laughs> it yeah. was incredible. Who were you following? Oh, Ice T went on. Oh, yes. Ice T. <laughs> and he was going, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you, white, white motherfucker!" Exactly. <laughs> and rape some of you white bitches. <laughs> so I said, "I'm doing my bit anyway," and I said. I'm gonna kill you, mother, you white motherfuckers, <laughs> and rape you white pitches. <laughs> yeah, but when you said, and he just did my act. <laughs> 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 oh. 
God, that is the funny. I never, ever forgot that. It was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard. Well, Hank, you were a stand-up. Before we turned the mics on, you were telling Gilbert that you met him at the Improv yes, originally. Yes, uh, I wound up being Tony Bennett's opening act for four years. Uh, I was appearing at a club in New York called The Living Room. I'd done the Improv, and then I was at The Living Room, and uh, a guy came in and said, uh, would you be interested in going with DeAnthony and Mort Farber? And Mort Farber was uh, Tony Bennett's attorney and manager. I went up to see him, and he signed me to a contract. So I was with Tony for four years. Now, let's take it back, too. I just want to get the chronology of this, because sure. we talked that we touched about on Car 54, too. You were a wrestler. You were, prof you were a professional wrestler. Now, yeah. tell, us, tell us your name <laughs> your wrestling as a wrestler. Name. Hank Daniels, the Minnesota farm boy. <laughs> and you'd I, never been to Minnesota. Never saw a farm. <laughs> you're, you're a Jew from New York. Um, my my name was Hank Greenberg, <laughs> like the ball player. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. As a kid, I, w I was a hoodlum. I I lived on the streets. You're from Harlem. We should tell people. 111th, yeah. right between Park and Lexington. Yep, not far from where we are now. Really? Well, about 70 blocks, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> closer than where you are. This already is a schlep. <laughs> so now so how did hank greenberg hank, hank greenberg become the minnesota farm boy <laughs> i was training with a guy who was an olympic uh gold medalist power lift a weightlifter uh i was always in trouble uh and i mean really in trouble i was what were you doing what kind of uh, i was packing a gun when i was 13 Oh, I was fighting all the time. Uh, my folks were from Russia and my father was here illegally. He met my mom who had two children. Uh, her husband died and he assumed her last name because he was afraid he was going to be found out and sent back to Russia. So he got the name Greenberg. Now I come along, I'm born late in life to them unexpectedly. And they were so busy trying to make a living. They, they, they were peddlers, fruit and vegetable peddlers. They hadn't, didn't have time for me. So I was on the streets. There were times I slept in cardboard boxes. I slept under stairways. Uh, and always hanging out, always in trouble. Now we watching guys, big, big guys play dice. And there's a raid. And it's a bunch of kids, myself included, and we're taken in and we're arrested. And we're taken down to a police station, a place called the Tombs. So now an Irish sergeant comes over and he says, all right, now, I want your names. So one of the guys was named Ted Williams. He said, Teddy Williams, the baseball player. Okay, and you... What's your name? I said, uh, Hank Greenberg. <laughs> Another he Hall says, of Famer. <laughs> Another baseball player. I see. <laughs> now he comes up to my friend and he said, and you, what's your name? He said, George Washington Jr. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the cops said, you lying sons of bitches, you're going to stay here till you fucking tell me your right names. <laughs> That's great. But, so, but I took the name Garrett. Uh, I was in love with Betty Garrett. And we had done a, a Chabad telethon. And so I, I just adopted that name. Come to find out later on, my great-great-grandmother married my great-great-grandfather. He was from London. Uh, he worked for a the Hudson Bay Fur Company. He was sent to London to buy fur, uh, to Russia to buy furs. He met my great-great-grandmother, and his last name was Garrett. Oh, that's funny. And I didn't, now, know, didn't know that. Now, yeah. what was, you went from being a tough street thug. And so what was the turnaround? Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, there was a gentleman who was the mayor of Harlem. Uh, and he was a customer to my mom. And she was crying to him that I was always in trouble. Cops were looking for me. Uh, other guys that I had gotten in fights with. And he came to me. And he said, uh, "You got. I got permission to take you out. Now, you tell somebody in New York I'm taking you out. That means he's going to knock me off. Yeah. So I got ready, and he had slapped, and he and also he slapped a cigarette out of my mouth. And I didn't know who this guy was. And I moved in on him, and two mountains came toward me, his two bodyguards. And then he explained, he said, your mother wants me to take you to dinner. And then we're going to go meet a friend of mine. And he said, have you got a suit? I said, yeah, I've got a suit. He said, before you wear the suit, take a bath. I, went, <laughs> I got dressed. Six o'clock, he picked me up and took me to a place in Harlem called Wells, where they had fried chicken and waffles. We ate. He said, if you're hungry, I'm going to give you, you come back here, we'll get a package of food for your mom. I said, oh, cool. Took me to the Apollo Theater to meet Sammy Davis Jr. And we went into his dressing room. And there were hundreds of people milling about to meet Sam. I walked in and Sam said to me, uh, Mr. Bryant, that was his name, Willie Bryant, told me, you're either going to go to prison or you're going to die. I said, that's it? He said, the way you're going, yeah. There's, that's it, my friend. They got me a gig with an all-black orchestra called Lucky Millinder. And we were working the Hotel Teresa. And I said, what's a band, boy? He said, you're going to put out the music and the stands for each one of the musicians. He said, and then when the gig is over, put all the stuff away. I did. And he came over to me and he handed me 50 bucks. And I said, what? He said, get yourself some new kicks, shoes. My shoes were torn to shreds. I bought a pair of Florsheim shoes for $15. And I went from Tom McCann to Florsheim in one night. And I gave my mom 35 bucks, more money than she had seen all month. And that was the start. They got me more gigs and I started doing Jokes. I started working at Catskills when I was 16. 
some stuff that I had put together from that I stole from Myron Cohen radio <laughs> shows. <laughs> but you borrowed, Hank. You borrowed. Uh, yes, I borrowed. And, <laughs> and, and you – oh, yeah. go ahead. No, and so because I, I, I learned – Sid Caesar was also my mentor. I would sneak into the studio, uh, and it was the Ed Sullivan Theater. I would climb the back stairs – over the roof and down, and I would sit up in the, the balcony and listen to Sid. And he was he was my idol. And I learned to do dialectic gibberish. And because of what I learned through Sid, I wound up doing that was the week that was in London. I remember that yeah, show. Yeah, with David Frost. David yes. Frost, exactly. That was the week that was. It's yeah. over. Let it go. That uh, <laughs> oh, wow. He's big on theme songs. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> While we wait for Gilbert to find the men's room, <laughs> we promise we'll come back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Don't go away. And now back to the show. Now, let's see if we get the order of this right. So you're doing, you, you're, you're, Sammy was involved in your rehabilitation. Yes. Which is amazing. It's a great me. story in itself. And then you wind up in the clubs, and that leads to the cat skills. And was was Larry Storch also uh, oh, a help to you? Yes, Larry had a club of his own, and it was called the Crystal Room. Now I started martial arts when I was eleven, uh, only because I wanted to be a better street fighter. But <laughs> truly, yeah. And but I, instead, I've learned respect and humility. And one of the guys that was in my my karate class was a bouncer at Larry's club. Wow. So I told him, God, he said, look, I'll get you in to meet Larry, but you got to sit way the heck in the shadows so no one will notice you. I was just a kid. And I got to meet Larry Storch. And then I worked with him on Car 54. Yeah, it's one of the first oh. guests to do this podcast, by the way. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? He, he was, Larry yeah. Storch He's was, a gift. The, Larry Storch was the drunk. Yes. On car 50. <laughs> and we had to try to rehabilitate him. But he did one of the he would the things he did. He said he was straight, he was dry, he was composed, and he said, I'll tell you guys, I owe everything to you. He said, I used to walk down Third Avenue, go into Jim's bar, little drink, you know, nothing. It was all glass. <laughs> He says, I would go over to Fred's. Now, Fred, you could get a double shot for a quarter. <laughs> By the time he finished demonstrating, he was out of it completely. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you remember every episode of Car 54. Oh, my you know, God, ev yeah. Every guest star. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he did a hysterical drunk thing, Larry Storch. Oh, he was just amazing. Just so we're trying minute. to get the sequence of this. You're, so now you're, 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 you, you, Sammy helps you clean up your act. You're, you're, you're in the cat. You're doing the clubs. You're doing Larry's club. <laughs> you get to the cat skills. How the hell does professional wrestling come into this picture? All this was happening at the same time because when I started doing karate, uh, I really blew up. I started pumping iron at when I was 13, and I got huge. I'm working out at a, at the Y, and a guy approached me and asked me if I would be interested in being a wrestler. He didn't know how old I was. Uh, and I said, you're going to pay? He said, yeah. He, he pays quite well. Not true. <laughs> and 
so I met with him and the guy who was booking the entire territory. And I, I went to see this guy, Toots Mont. And he said, well, what's your name? And I said, uh, Hank Garrett. He said, nah, that ain't going to work. <laughs> You're the farm boy. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> he said, yeah, you're going to be the Minnesota farm boy. They dyed my hair blonde. <laughs> like gorgeous George. That's exactly it. George, well, George was amazing. He was amazing. Now, the funny thing happens with my mom. I came to California. She thought I came out here to be an actor. And I'm wrestling all over. And at one point, I came back to New York, and I had a fan club that made all my clothes. <laughs> These little old ladies, the youngest was about 130. <laughs> and they made these things, beaded brocades and fringes and spangles. <laughs> now I come home, fifth floor walk up, and my mom, who's this tiny little lady, uh, tiny, she was 4'10", she wow. weighed, and weighed 220 pounds. A friend of mine who was a wonderful comedy writer, a guy named Herb Harding, said, how tall is your mom? I said, she's 4'10". He says, what does she weigh? I said, 220. He said, well, thank God she's got the height to carry that weight. <laughs> 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 So now my mom's going to help me unpack. And she opens up the bag and she sees all these beads and spangles. And, and she looks at the blonde hair and she says, Oi, hey, tell me the truth. Are you a communist? She, <laughs> Who did you wrestle as the Minnesota farm boy? Did you, did you wrestle, by the way, Lenny Montana? Lenny was my tag team partner. You know Lenny Montana is, Gil? No. Luca Brazzi. Uh, and the oh Godfather. Oh, my God. The one that gets the ice pick through his hand. That's yes. It. Yeah. Now, I heard uh, Gorgeous George is where uh, Muhammad Ali got all the shtick from. Exactly. They were doing an interview, wow. and Muhammad Ali watched Gorgeous George. At, now, George was a straight wrestler. And he said, yeah, I need a gimmick. And so he came up with the, the blonde hair, the, the gold hairpins, a valet with a flit gun full of perfume. And he would spray everybody in the ring, including the ref. And Muhammad Ali heard him being interviewed. And he said, uh, we have this wrestler, Gorgeous George, and you're wrestling a brother, Leo, Don Leo Jonathan. I'll kill him. I'll rip his throat out. And then after I tear him to shreds, I'll kill his family. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody showed up to see George get beaten by Don Leo Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> and so Luca Brazzi was your was your wrestling, was your tag team partner. That's kind of surreal, isn't it, Gil? Uh, oh, oh my <laughs> god, yeah. I wonderful story about he would wrestle as himself. And then he'd run into the locker room and he put on an, a zebra outfit. 
<laughs> to pick up extra money, he became the zebra kid. <laughs> now, we're wrestling in New York. They book us <coughs> here. And we look at, and we're at the Hollywood Legion Stadium. And it says, Luca Brazzi. Oh, no, he, that was before he did Luca Brazzi. He said, wrestling the zebra kid. And I looked and I said, Lenny, they got you wrestling yourself. You know how fast you're going to have to be. <laughs> that night, I became the zebra kid. Oh, that's great. But Lenny was 6'3" weighed about 300 pounds and had a size 15 shoe. I put his stuff on. I can't tighten the trunks because he was like a 42 waist. I'm powerlifting, I'm bodybuilding, so my, my waist was 34, 35. I wear a size 10 shoe. He's a 15. I put every, all his stuff on. He's in the ring. Now, I have no traction. The ring is on an uphill. So they have to push me up the hill to the ring. I look, and I see the referee lying in the corner. And I said, that crazy bastard knocked out the referee. And I look close, and the referee's hysterical laughing at my outfit trying to get into the ring. <laughs> As I step in the ring, Lenny hits me with a forearm smash, catches me here, and the, the helmet goes, and now the <laughs> eyes are in the back. I can't see. <laughs> That's great. And I won. That's great. Now, I I heard a story that you were working on a movie with someone who you wouldn't think of as a violent guy, O.J. Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> that angel? Oh, the movie was Firepower, right? Yes, with Sophia Loren. Right. And James Coburn. Oh, yeah. So tell us the fight you had. Well, uh, Sophia is my boss's girlfriend. And we're in the British West Indies. We're in Antigua. She's in a gift shop. And I tell her that my boss wants to see her. And she says, tell him to wait. And I said, nobody tells him to wait. And I wipe everything off the table. I grab her arm and I twist her arm and drag her out of the, the place and throw her in a car. OJ has got to rescue her. Now we've rehearsed. All he had to do was come behind me, put his hand on the back of my head and I would bang control the, the hit against the car. Not the way he played it. He came behind me grabbed my hair, smashed my head against the open door, and cut me open. And the, I went out, knocked me out, and I'm covered in blood. So now they run to get my then wife, who's at the hotel. She comes running out, and she sees me lying in Sophia's lap. <laughs> Sophia's got a towel, and she's mopping the blood. My... <laughs> Wife looks at me lying in Sophia's lap and says, "Are you comfortable?" <laughs> <laughs> and in, as an idiot comic, what do I say? Well, I make a nice living. <laughs> <laughs> she ran to the hotel, packed, and left. <laughs> now, 
I come back to New York after the shoot, and we're there for a month. We've reconciled. We're walking down Madison Avenue, and there's a small private hotel. And I see two guys in suits come out, and they're looking around. I said, bodyguards. Out comes Sophia. And she sees me across the street, and she runs over and says, Oh, Hank, baby, how are you? How's your head? <laughs> Is it? And I hear, Taxi! <laughs> That's great. A couple of weeks later, we were divorced. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I heard when Sophia Loren was cradling you, she's, Sophia started screaming, uh, get him an ambulance. <laughs> and, and, and you yelled out, but oh, don't hurry. Yes, take your time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that movie has come up on this podcast before, that Dominic Chianese was in Firepower. Oh, my God, that's right. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. The guy from the, the grandpa, uh, Uncle Junior from The Sopranos. Oh, my God. Yeah. Michael Winter, the director of Death Wish. <laughs> that, that, that we have. Death Wish is one of my favorites. Is it we really? Just, we, we just had yes. Stuart Margolin on. Oh, wow. I haven't seen Stu in years. Yeah. Tell us about uh, filming Death Wish. Wow. Uh, Michael Winter was really a strange guy. Uh, he only cared about himself. He did a movie about stuntmen, and he hurt everybody oh. on the film. Yeah, he just didn't care. Uh, we were doing one of the scenes. Well, we did this firepower I'm referring to. And there was a scene where Coburn is being chased by a bunch of bad guys in boats, and he tosses gasoline into the water and then fires a flag on and they guys going to explode in boats and so forth. And the stunt coordinator, uh, his name was Terry, said, Michael, we can't do the shot here. He said, it's too windy. He said, the guys are going to hit the, you know, and get into the water. They won't be able to poke a hole to come back up to breathe. And he said, I want the shot here. He said, we can't do it. He said, then you're fired. And he brought in a British team, and a good portion of them were hurt. And uh, it was just awful. Yeah, uh, interesting. I don't think Dominic liked him very much either, no he told one, us. I, he was a Brit, Michael Winner. I told Michael, I uh, <laughs> got myself into some trouble. Uh, we were shooting, there was a boat, a large boat, and a tugboat. And so the tugboat was the camera boat. So we were shooting all the stuff with uh, Sophia and James. And because of the the rough water, the two boats kept coming close to each other. Meanwhile, I'm, I had gotten shot. And guy who was working with me, was hang, they hang him over the edge of the boat to find out where the boss is. And they had shark catchers. And when everyone was worried about these two boats colliding, and this kid is, is hanging off the edge of the boat. And I said to Michael, Michael, he, the two boats are going to collide. This kid is going to get killed. And he said, has nothing to do with you. And I said, if he gets hurt, 
I'll break your back. He said, you're threatening me. I said, really? Now, James Coburn pulled me aside. So now, fortunately, as the boats were coming close, the kids spun around and got away from the, the collision. Next scene, we're at the dock. And Coburn, I'm on the boat. Coburn coming toward the boat. I go to try and shoot him. He shoots me. And boom, I, I hit the deck. And I see Michael wearing a white linen suit, standing with a megaphone on the dock. Coburn sees me and says, Minnesota, that he kept calling me that. <laughs> I don't like the look on your face. <laughs> I said, why? He shoots me. I've got two squibs explode. And I see Michael standing right below me. And I fell off the boat and landed right on top of him. <laughs> and all I heard was, get off of me, you bloody bastard. <laughs> Michael and uh, James said, God, did you fuck up his suit? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and tell us what Charles Bronson was like to work with. He would do his scene and disappear. He would go into his dressing room and not have a thing to do with anybody around. So I, I was in the film with him, but never, never got to meet him. Charles Baczynski. Yes. Yeah. He was a, yeah, a, a mind. No, Stuart, Stuart Margolin told us some interesting things about him. That he, that he dressed as, uh, what was the thing? That he dressed in oh, girls' clothing yeah, when he was a kid. He, he was he was a coal miner. Yes. His family. Yeah, they were They had no money. Poor. And so sometimes they'd run out of clothes. Yeah. And he would have to wear one of his sister's dresses. The hand-me-downs, yeah. To go to school. And yeah, but he got a lot of dates. <laughs> As long as we're talking about action sequences, and let's talk about two films that Gilbert and I like that you're in. One is Serpico. Oh, yeah. Your Muscles Malone. <laughs> and, and, and that's directed by uh, Gilbert's favorite director, Sidney Lumet. Yes. 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 Oh, tell us about Sidney Lumet working with him. Oh, man, what a great guy. Uh, one of the scenes uh, at the police station, the young actor had to do a crossover. Nothing more. And on action, he had to do the cross. And when he got to the other side, he had, had two lines of dialogue and he would blow it every time. So before the cross, he was waiting and waiting and action, waiting, waiting. Sidney stopped and said, young man, what are you, what are you waiting for? He said, uh, I'm trying to find my motivation and Sidney said, your motivation is to avoid unemployment. <laughs> That's good. And then what a wonderful line. And then the, uh, the guy that kept blowing his lines, uh, Sidney had everybody just quiet. He said, sit here. He said, and just talk to me. Just talk. And he said, okay, now... Where, what, what is your reason for, for saying these lines? And, 
And he told him, and he said, well, g- give me the line. He said, yeah, don't, don't act it. Just, just. And he did the lines, and he said, oh, thank you. You got it? He had the camera rolling. Oh, smart. Wow. Well, he was an actor himself, wasn't he, Sidney Lumet? Yes. Uh, yeah, wasn't yeah. he in like a Bowery Boys or Yeah, I something? believe he was. I think he was uh, on the fringes of either the Bowery Boys wow. or the, the Dead End Kids. Wow. And Sidney, yeah. and Sidney Pollack. And Sidney Pollack, yeah, yes. sure. You worked with him too. Yeah, and he was- We uh, watched that scene today, by the way. Oh, the fight. <laughs> yeah, oh, we watched the fight. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> now, interestingly, and Frank and I were, t- were talking about this, uh, in Three Days of the Condor, you're a, you look like a cop. You're dressed as a cop. You're dressed uh, as a mailman. Oh, mailman. Yeah. You're dressed as a mailman. And you want to get into Robert Redford's house, and he's afraid to open the door. And then finally you get in, and Redford looks down at your shoes, and he sees those are not a mailman shoe. Exactly. They were brown Adidas, and they were his. He came now, up with the idea. Redford? Yes. They said, what's the tip-off? We're trying to find the tip-off. And he turned around at a meeting and said, the shoes. I've got to see. And he went to his dressing room. He had just purchased these brown Adidas. They were the same size as I wear, put these on. And they do, you know, as I come in, then they do a tight close-up of my feet. And you see the shoes. And that's when he grabs this pot of coffee and throws it at me as I'm pulling the machine gun. Now, Redford saved my eyesight. Oh. He was supposed to hit me in the face with this, this pot of coffee. And he walked over. He wasn't even in the shot. He was in a dressing room. They were going to do a tight close-up of me uh, getting the coffee. And he just walked over and he looked at the pot of coffee and it was smoke coming out of it. And he said to the guy handling special effects, what is with that? He said, well, it's, it's not hot coffee, Bob. He said, it's something acid diluted with mineral oil. And Redford said, what happens if you get it in his eye? He said, no, no, it doesn't burn. He stuck his finger and he said, no, no. What happens if it gets into his eyes? He walked over and he asked Sidney, Sidney, can I throw the coffee? And he said, sure, we don't even need you in the shot. He said, a tight close-up. He said, let me do it. And then he called me over and said, Hank, I'm going to hit you waist high. And all I want you to do is throw your hands up at your face like it landed in your face. Did the shot. And it was wonderful. Come to find out, had he gotten that in my eyes, he would have blinded me. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Robert Redford. And I repaid. I, I, how, do I, how do I repay this man? I break his nose. Right. Oh, you broke his nose. That's <laughs> right. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> So in a fight scene, you broke his nose? Yes. It's called A Jew Gets Back. No, it's... (laughs) (laughs) The mineral oil that was in the coffee was all over the floor. And I told Bob, I said, Bob, I'm going to do a sweep, and I'm just going to take you over my left knee, throw you down. Don't come in low. Slipped on the mineral oil. 
and came face forward. As I came around, my elbow hit him square in the nose. And we continue the fight, and I look, and I see blood coming out of his nose. And I'm about to call Sydney, and, and, he, and Bob waved me off. And we continued the fight scene. That night, Redford called me and said, Hank, wait till you see the fight scene. It is the best. Oh, and by the way, you broke my nose. <laughs> by the way. I said, exactly. That's what I said. By the way, I'll never work again. I'm finished. You know the great thing about that scene? And, you know, it's, it's interesting, your versatility, Hank, because you're obviously a, a, a comedic actor, a gifted comedic actor, and you're a comic. You're a stand-up yeah. comic as well. But you're scary as hell in, in, in that scene. And I, I can't think of too many comedians. that we, Gilbert and I were talking about it before. There's such a convincing heavy. Yeah, it's so uh, chilling when you're going after Redford and that. I kept thinking of the agents I worked for. <laughs> <laughs> and you came away with an award for that scene. Yeah, I wound up winning New York Film Critics. Uh, Terrific. So, uh, did you stay friends with Redford after that? Uh, I wanted to, I had his home number and my ex-wife stole my phone book and destroyed it. Wow. Yeah. 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 Incidentally, I'm with a lady now who's my manager. Uh, now I've been with the top managers in the business. I've been with the top agency and I have never, ever, ever experienced what I'm experiencing today. Uh, with this lady. Her name is Deanna Marie Smith, and she's known as the Red Warrior. <laughs> the Red so, Warrior? I, yeah. I need her to manage me. <laughs> oh, she, she's amazing. I, I just had to get that in because she's... I'm here because of her. That's great. Again, Gilbert would find this interesting. Here's a little trivia I oh, dug I dug up on Hank. <laughs> he uh, He played... The part of Lenny in Of Mice and Men. Oh, my. Wow. In a production of Of Mice and Men, directed by, you tell him, Hank. Oh, my God. With, and Peaks Island, Maine. Right. Jose, <laughs> Jose Ferrer. Jose Ferrer oh was his director. Oh, my God. Isn't that cool? Wow. Gilbert loves that movie, worships Lon Chaney Jr. in that movie. Oh, my God. I got it to, uh, because of Jose Ferrer, he got me an audition for the actor studio. Now, I had two half-brothers, adopted brothers, and they were from Italy, and they were here illegally. My father became their guardian, and I'm at the actor studio. And they, they were living, the, the three of us, as kids in the same bed. So now they come to me, and... They're saying, Mama told us you're just going to be over there and you're at the actor studio. What are you doing over there? <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to be working with Lee Strasberg. Oh, yeah, 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 Lee Strasberg, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna... I, wish, I wish our listeners could see your expressions when you're doing that. <laughs> I'm going impressions. I, I'm going to do the scene. Uh, Strasberg says... Uh, Mr. Ferrer said, do you wonderful? And I would love to hear you do the scene. So I have to prepare. And I said, can my two brothers come? He said, they can sit in the back, providing they don't make any noise. <laughs> now, this is Vinny and, <laughs> Vinny and Charlie Falcone. 
And I said, listen, you guys could come, but you can't make any noise. What are we, fucking kids over here? <laughs> what fucking noise? We're going to watch you do something. Nice? No, no, we don't bother nobody. Okay. This is the God's honest truth. I do, I do the scene. Strasberg says, Mr. Garrett, is that the way Mr. Ferrer directed you to play the scene? I said, yes. Let me show you how it should be played. Vinny yells, what the fuck was wrong with the way he played it? <laughs> we thought it was fucking terrific. <laughs> and I see the color drain out of Strasburg's face. <laughs> Charlie says, hey, what are you fucking deaf? My brother's talking to you. <laughs> Mr. Garrett, yes. Uh, would you ask your two hoodlum friends to leave and would you please go with them? <laughs> Tossed me right out of the studio. That's a good one. Now, you're also an autograph hound. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I used to save. Uh, in fact, um, I'm doing an autograph show. On the 9th, uh, 8th and 9th uh, at the Western Hotel near LAX. And what I do is I raise funds for disabled vets. Yeah, yeah. Tell us your, your, your charities. Yeah. Uh, I've been raising. I went to do a show at uh, Veterans Hospital. And I saw these kids missing arms and legs. I mean, kids, they're babies. So I decided I got to do something about it. So I started raising funds. So I do the autograph shows all over the country, and all the proceeds go to the disabled vets. So I've raised over $50,000. Good for you, Hank. And now there's another thing that's come into my life. Uh, be, my manager is from a farm in Idaho. We went to see the farm, and she arranged for me to go and talk to children that are incarcerated. And to see children, I'm babies, 11 to 17, incarcerated. They didn't know who I was. They had nothing to do with me. But what we did, we ran a copy of Car 54. Oh. Before, I, before my introduction. So I came out and I talked to them. I just said, tell them I was there. I was there where you are. And unfortunately, I, my son was spent most of his life in prison. He had attention deficit and hyperactivity. Nobody knew how to deal with it, and he was always in trouble. Uh, and we lost him a couple of years ago. He was out, got a job working at a studio uh, as a welder, and he was killed on a motorcycle, motorcycle accident. I'm sorry. Thank you. And so I talked to these kids and the change in their face and attitude as I was telling them, I've been there. I'm exp I've experienced exactly what you're going through. And my thing is, I, I couldn't save my son, but I'm going to try to save some other kids. So we've been doing that. And that, that, that's a mission. But, boy... So worthwhile. That's admirable work, Hank. Good for hey, you. Thank you. Good for you.
You got a couple of more questions about Car 54 for this man? <laughs> I bet well, you do. Oh, I have a bunch of questions still. Uh, you, oh, you, I, I heard you go after autographs from people who you really admire. Yes. And you, you keep memorabilia, too, from your various shoots, don't you? Uh, yes, I Oh, my God, yeah. I had some of the clothes that I wore on the Car 54. Have one of the caps. <laughs> uh, clothes I wore when I did. I had a series with James Earl Jones. Yes, uh, Paris. Paris. Yeah, I've, I was co-starring with him, and clothes were made for me, and it was just that I can't get into now. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I got autographs with Kirk Douglas. Uh, oh, did a fight scene with Kirk. Wow. Yeah, tell us about that. Uh, Kirk came to me and he said, uh, we're going to do the fight scene. I said, yeah. He says, I've got a reputation. I have never made contact. I said, oh, that, that's, that's terrific. Action. Pop. <laughs> Caught me right in the nose. <laughs> and I said, uh, Kirk, not only did you fuck up your reputation, look at what you did to my nose. <laughs> what was the name of that movie, Hank? Uh, a love, no, no, no. Lovely Way to Die? Yeah, that was. Uh, uh, Isn't that it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah I think so. Because I, 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 no, because I also did a film with uh, Cagney. Oh, you did! Tell wow. us. Wow. Yeah, I was an extra. I missed that one. Oh God! And uh, Cagney's going to make a speech. He's up on a big platform, and he's talking to dock workers. I'm a dock worker, and he said, uh, "I, I don't know that he's up there," and I'm. I said, who's the star? And he said, James Cagney. And I'm John Cagney. I'll tell you, I have sir. And, uh, and he's watching me and he says, that's the fattest Cagney I've ever seen. <laughs> the fattest? <laughs> and I look up and I go, oh, I got in you. <laughs> he answers me in Yiddish. He says, Vosukste. <laughs> he invites me to have lunch with him. He was raised in a Jewish neighborhood on the Lower East Side. And oh, that's he terrific. spoke fluent Yiddish. Did you know that, Gil? That I, he spoke yes, fluent I, I had known about oh, that. Wow. He grew up around Jews. Yes, he, he, he should speak Yiddish. Exactly. <laughs> and you got Jerry Lewis's autograph. Oh. I was in a terrible auto accident. Uh and I was in the hospital for 13 and a half months. Wow. Yeah, I was really busted up. Coming back from the Catskills, uh, boy singer uh, who's driving, I was in the passenger seat, and he fell asleep. And we, we hit the island. Uh, we bounced off, off, the, off the retaining wall into the oncoming traffic. And there was a truck coming at us. And he pulled over to what looked like a level side. Uh, but it was a 40-foot a drop. You couldn't see the, this gap. And down we went. He was killed, and I wound up in a hospital. And Jerry had a relative at the hospital. And I, he came over to me, and he saw me. I was in a body cast for, boy, it was a long time, eight months in a body cast. And Jerry said, how you doing, kid? And I said, oh, okay. 
I said, can I have your autograph? He says, better than that, let me give you a check. And he wrote out a check for 25 bucks. <laughs> and he said, if you don't cash it, you'll have my autograph forever. <laughs> I love that. I said, can you come a little closer so when I throw this shot, I don't hurt my shoulder? <laughs> wow. As as time winds, uh, winds down here, uh, Hank, let's ask you some more Car 54 stuff. Sure. we got to ask you about Al Lewis. Oh, my partner. Who Gilbert knew and a little bit. <laughs> Al Lewis, I would run into all the time when... Horn King, Al Goldstein, of School Magazine, he would have these brunches. And I'd be sitting with Al Lewis in his Western clothes. <laughs> oh, my God. He was he was pretty insane, Al Lewis. Oh, he was totally insane. <laughs> we, we, we're on a break. We're shooting uh, in the Bronx. And we walk... First, we've had several encounters. We're sitting on a, a stoop and smoking. I smoked at the time, and he's smoking these Denobly cigars. <laughs> <laughs> and a big car pulls up, and the guy jumps out of the car, and he says, are you two fucking cops nuts? I got a deputy chief inspector in here. You're both cooping. You're standing there smoking. You're out of uniform. Al says... Tell him to go fuck himself. <laughs> I said, Al, you, you, you don't, we're doing it. it is, fuck you. I wouldn't. <laughs> then the guy realized that we weren't real cops, that there's no 53rd precinct. <laughs> That's great. So he gets in the car and drives away. We go in on the uh, next day. We're still in that, lo in that same location. We walk into an Italian deli. We're on break. Got two hours before our next shot. We walk in and little Italian gentleman sees us and he's, uh, can I help you officer? <laughs> said, uh, yeah, we, we want to get a couple of sandwiches. And he said, and he's, it's <laughs> my he says, anything else uh, you like to have with this sandwich? <laughs> so Al says, yeah, I'll have a soda. No. I, I said, no. And I, I look at the, this poor guy. And Al says, well, what do we owe you? Oh, nothing. I like giving my food away. <laughs> and he kisses the sandwiches. And as, it's Ju June or July. As we hit the door, he says, Officer, Merry Christmas. <laughs> I come back and I put a couple of bucks on the counter and we ran. Uh, I love that. You know, he was a man of mystery, Al Lewis. Nobody knew his real age. Oh, I know. If, you, if you do internet research on him, you can't even find out what year he was born. Yeah. He was either born in 1910 or 1923, which is quite a difference. <laughs> And then he was a scout for basketball. He was a basketball. Oh, yeah. Well, he's a basketball expert. Oh, he did that everywhere. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. He knew hoops. But a real a real strange cat. Yes. Extremely. And oh, tell my. us uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about Fred Gwynn, who Gilbert and I also love. Oh, Freddie was wonderful. Uh 
very bright guy, uh, Yale graduate, cartoonist. He wrote children's books. Yeah, yeah. And did the il- illustrations as well. Uh, kind of kept to himself. We experienced uh, the death of his child while we were shooting. Uh, his son, his baby, was being cared for by a nanny. And the baby had gotten out of the crib and rolled down a hill and into the water. And he never said a thing. Uh, he immediately left, and we saw him a couple of days later. And we were trying to console, but he was kind of reserved, kind of pulled back. But, uh, yeah, we, we shared a bunch of stuff together. A good dramatic actor, Fred Gwynn. Yes, he was. You see him in the Cotton Club? Oh, yeah, he And, and other, other things? I mean, I I even loved him in um, Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah a lot yeah. of range. Sometimes. And he played Big Daddy. Yeah, oh, that's... Exactly, he did that on Broadway. Better. Say it again. In, in, in Pet Cemetery, he goes... Sometimes death is better. Oh, yeah, he's just got the New England accent. <laughs> well, what about the judge and Cousin Vinny? My Cousin Very Vinny. Very funny. Oh, yeah. yes. Very funny. Yeah, I mean, he could do comedy, he could do drama. He's really underrated. He got, obviously, in, in some sense, typecast as Herman Munster. Yes. But he was great as Herman Munster, and that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's ask you about quickly about some of the other. What about Nipsey? Oh, boy. Nipsey was one, probably one of the funniest guys this I is met. Nipsey Russell. Nipsey, Nipsey Russell, Russell for our listeners. Our listeners would know just who Nipsey yeah, is. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, of... Which Nipsey are we referring to? <laughs> <laughs> Nipsey D. Roosevelt. <laughs> so tell us about Nipsey Russell. <laughs> he had worked one nightclub in Harlem for 16 years, a place called the Baby Grand. And he was the poet laureate of Harlem. He was wonderful. He wrote material all the time. Oh, we loved him. Oh, he was marvelous. And he helped me. I was the first white comedian to work the Apollo Theater because of Nipsey. And uh, I scared to death. I walked out on stage and I said, oh, I'm going to get killed. My entire neighborhood was there. (laughs) (laughs) And hey, I, hey, hey, Hank, how you doing, man? This happened to me. I did a show at uh, Rikers Island Prison. And uh, I got a call from the warden asking me if I would do uh, an appearance. And <laughs> the warden said, uh, gentlemen, we have a man here who is appearing at the Copacabana with Tony Bennett. And he's here to spend a few minutes with you. Hank Garrett. I walk out and I hear... Oh shit! Hey, Hank. <laughs> and one guy yelled, "Give that motherfucker a number. He belong here with us." <laughs> All the guys I grew up with in the joint. Hilarious. I I remember running into Nipsey Russell at some event, and he came over to me. He said, "Hey, Gilbert, how you doing?" And I just said, ah, my career's over. And, <laughs> and, and Nipsey says to me, welcome to the club. <laughs> He's a little too gleeful about it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, oh, that's hilarious. That's wonderful. 
<laughs> what about some of these other names? Since we talked about Storch guest starring on the show, Hank, what about the great Carl Ballantyne? Oh, he started me in the business. Did he? Wow. I, when I came out of the hospital, uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. And someone introduced me to Carl Ballantyne, the amazing Mr. Ballantyne. He had that, that crazy magic. <laughs> How do you describe yes. it? Every, every one of his magic tricks would go badly, <laughs> and he'd be more and more, like, angry and disgusted oh, yeah. with each He would throw the tray. <laughs> he did a thing where he took a blindfold and put it on. He took a deck of cards. He says, I'm going to spread this deck of cards out. He said, they're going to form a peak. He said, then the ace of spades is going to be spinning around. And he said, shit, this I've got to see myself. (laughs) (laughs) Funny guy. He was wonderful. And his daughter is uh, one of the heads of the Magic Castle. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Sarah Valentine. What about Billy Sands? Oh, my God. Well, I knew Billy uh, when he was doing the Bilko show. Sure. Yeah. And I'd... Phil Le- Phil Leeds. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> One of the funniest guy. He looked like a gnome. Yeah. <laughs> He's come up on this show before. <laughs> oh my God. Phil was hysterical. Yep. Yep. I remember the last thing I would see him pop up on was like Ali McBeal. Larry Sanders too. I think he oh, was yeah? I think he was Hank Kingsley's agent oh. on on the on the Larry Sanders show. <laughs> he was like 90. And he was in Ghost. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well we talked about him with Steve Weber. Oh. He, he he turned up on Wings. Oh my god. I got some names here. Wally Cox, uh, Sorel Book was on oh, Car 54. Book. Oh my god. Remember him? Yes. yes. Jack Guilford. Bye bye, Braverman. Oh, he yep. was in. Guilford. Oh, my God. Uh, let's see. And so, uh, B.S. Pulley. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it says, yeah, B.S. does not stand for Bernard Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> and he worked with another guy named H.S. Gump. Right. He <laughs> That's said, right. You're in for a treat, folks. Bullshit and horseshit. <laughs> Now, and tell us about Boss Hogg, Sorrel Book. Oh, my Dukes of God. Hazard. Dukes of Hazard. Oh, God. These are all guys that guest starred on Car 54. Well, I, I did Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, yeah right. That's oh, right. Wow. That's right. I forgot I pl- that. I played a KGB agent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I because of Sid, I wound up doing That Was the Week That Was in London. Uh, I was doing a show at the Copa, and I was doing dialectic gibberish. And I was asked, would you be interested in going to London to do, uh, that was week that was. And each week, I, I well, I wound up getting it. Uh, I did a different character. And David had to translate whatever I was doing. And it, no script, just... Oh, the, that's fun. Oh, God. In fact, uh, at one time... <laughs> He let just let me go, and I was a Chinese delivery man. 
I tell you, you go to IMDb and you look up Car 54 and you look at that, you look at the extended cast, everybody that guest starred on that show, it'll oh, blow your mind. Jan oh, Murray. Oh, it's on, Jan Murray, yeah. sure. And Rocky Graziano. Oh, I just wrote a thing about Rocky. Oh, my God. And Jake LaMotta. Oh, that's right. Because yeah, Hyken liked uh, prize fighters, didn't he? He loved prize fighters. In fact, uh, Jake... Uh, we ran into Jake at Larry Storch's. We, we saw Larry in New York, and Jake was there. So to see him. And Rocky, Rocky played a hairdresser. <laughs> That's sh- right. Sherry Very Lewis good. was his Very girlfriend. <laughs> like Mr. Pierre or something. Yes. <laughs> Very good. That was a hysterical episode because... Rocky Graziano is this very gentle, like a feminine hairdresser. Exactly. But he wants to be a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> so we got Sugar Ray Robinson to, to dress as this old man who would like to get in a ring just to work out a little bit to dissuade Rocky, to let him know you're not a fighter. You're him. And Sugar Ray, and they just went pitter-pat, and Sugar just went pop hit him with two quick lefts, and Rocky ad-libbed. He looked right in the camera and said, but why does that feel so familiar? (laughs) (laughs) Because Sugar Ray had knocked the hell out of Rocky when they fought. And I remember on the show, he's like frustrated because he can't fight. And and he starts taking it out on the women at the beauty parlor. I remember that. <laughs> He's pulling the hair. Keep, keep, keep He's pulling on the hair. Oh, I know. And I remember one woman says, oh, Pierre, when will I be done? And he goes, you're done now, you old bag. <laughs> <laughs> was there going to be a spinoff, Hank, uh, the Schnauzers? Uh, uh, we were supposed was, to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Caroline Ray. That was writing it. And uh, it was Charlotte Ray. Charlotte, Charlotte Ray. Ray. Yeah. I get, I always get those two <laughs> names yeah. mixed up. Yeah, Char- I did that to her when she was on the show. <laughs> oh, God, well, I called her by the wrong name. <laughs> now oh, now you come full circle. <laughs> But oh, what, what happened to the, to the spinoff? Was it because Nat passed away yes. so young? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was, and I, oh. yes. No, I heard Nat Hyken at one point wanted to write a movie for the Marx Brothers. Oh, God, that, that would have been wonderful. Wow. I didn't, I, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't think you've said that on and, the show. And I, I think that's good stuff. It was right around that point when the Marx Brothers were making terrible movies, like Out West. And oh, I know. Big Store. <laughs> oh, terrible, at the circus. And, and I don't know. I guess the studio felt, hey, we've got our writers. Why do we need him? Oh, but, boy, he could have written something great. Could have been a resurgence. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was. In fact, we did a. a there was a, a 
to do. There was a, a big party going on uh, for the IATSE. And so we were invited. And Nat wrote a sketch for us to do. And he, he knocked it off in like a couple of minutes. And it was the funniest piece that you ever... I've, we screamed every time we got back on the set. What Nat was able to do in a couple of minutes. Yeah. yeah he really was quite brilliant, wasn't he? He sure was. Yeah. Take, t- take us out, uh, uh, Hank, oh, with a, with oh, a Joey wait. Ross story. Oh, oh, go ahead. Where do you want to go? No, I just wanted to say, I just thought of another one okay. that you were featured in on Car 54, <laughs> where uh, Joey Ross brings up uh, to Fred Gwynn, he goes, hey, you know what tomorrow is, don't you? <gasps> and, and Fred Gwynn doesn't want to act like he doesn't, so he goes, well, of course I know. And then it keeps getting building. Each one goes to the other one saying, hey, you, of course, know what tomorrow is. And each one goes, well, of course I know that. <laughs> They're changing the calendar. They, they yes. Also, we also did that on what happened to Thursday. Because <laughs> I remember uh, Al Lewis goes to you and he goes, well, you, of course, know what tomorrow is. <laughs> and you go, Rolled around again. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, they really hold up, don't they? Oh, they, they're great. They're really yeah. great. They're yeah. gems. And yes, there aren't they're... that many episodes. No, we did a total of 60. Yeah. And I heard that. They're gems. One time they asked Nat Hiken, is he going to have another season of Car 54? And he said, yeah, but it won't have Joey Lewis. <laughs> Joey, Joey Ross. Ross. Joey Ross. I'm getting everyone's name <laughs> fucked up. Hey, hey Hank, tell, is, is, is there a story about Joey Ross in the commissary? At, oh, uh, God, Where you guys yes. run the honor system? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had just gotten our tailor-made uniforms, and boy, we were so proud of them. And they had this honor system cafeteria. So you'd eat, and then you'd walk over to the cashier. And you'd say, well, I had the scrambled eggs, and I had a piece of bacon and a thing, and and a coffee. He said, no, that's $2.85. So we all did that. We just told them what we had. Joey (laughs) walked over to the cashier, and the cashier said, okay, hold on. You had the oatmeal... And you had the scrambled eggs because it was all on his clothes. <laughs> Love that one. And it was Nat Hiken the next day got a big bed sheet and wrapped Joey in this sheet. <laughs> Did he uh, used to do the ooh ooh because he was hesitating? Yeah, he because couldn't. He re- couldn't think of, a li- couldn't of his rem- next line. Yeah, couldn't remember his lines. That's great. It, Curly, Curly of the Three Stooges did this. Oh, he would do that spinning around on the floor. And he'd do, knock, 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 because he couldn't remember the lines. So Joey did that, ooh, ooh, ooh. And we, we, ooh, ooh, ooh. There were two ooh. of them that did ooh, ooh. There was him and Hunts Hall from the Bowery. Oh, right, Hunts God. Hall. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew Hunts. Oh, my. Oh, how, what was Hunts Hall like? He was a gambler, uh, and what he was doing uh, when he was doing a show, he would always run over to get an advance on his pay. Yeah, and, and he'd run to, and he'd run to the track. 
<laughs> now, lose it all. And uh, now I heard a Joey Ross story. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gird your loins, Hank. <laughs> the heads of like Johnson and Johnson, who were like the sponsors, they were. were there. Yes, I was there. Oh, I you was tell there. the story. <laughs> Procter and Gamble were our Procter and Gamble our sponsors. Big sponsors. Christmas, they sent us cases of lava soap. To show us how much they loved our show. <laughs> now, the clients come in to meet the stars of <laughs> we're, we're in our dressing rooms. How do you do? This is Hank Garrett. He plays Nicholson. And I stand up. Hello, how are you? Yes. And the women, you know, very proper with the little white gloves. and <laughs> Fred Gwynn. Hello, Mr. Gwynn. All right, let's go see Joey Ross. I hear. <laughs> People are running like the place is on fire. It's just, what happened? They walked in as Joey was masturbating. <laughs> it's a true story. Oh, Gilbert's so happy right now. They said, uh, we're sorry to uh, uh, interfere, but uh, no, you don't have to shake our hands. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. He had a, he had a pension for uh, ladies of the evening, did he not? Oh, he kept bringing them in and right. saying he wanted, he wanted the, the company to pay for them as uh uh, dialogue directors. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Oh, we should wrap it up. Get this. Uh, get now, this man back to his life. Now, can we? Can we all sing the theme? Uh, the car fifty four. Uh, uh, sure. We can give it a shot. Okay. <clears throat> One, two, three. There's, There's a, a holdup in, in the Bronx. Bronx Brooklyn's broken out in fight. There's, There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's, There's a scout troop showed a child. Khrushchev's doing idle wild. Car 54, where are you? Oh, Hank, you made our night. Uh, I want to thank you guys. I haven't had this kind of fun in such a long time. Oh, oh us too. thank you, Hank. So this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. And we've been talking to the uh, uh, Jewish wrestler, <laughs> Miss, the Missouri farm boy. <laughs> Who's a comedian, singer, a a karate expert, and wrestler, and a genuine badass. Yes, he is. Your your career ran the gamut, Hank. Hank Garrett, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys so much. Thank Uh, you. Thank you, Hank. We'll see you again. Stay well. Bye-bye.